we've been going through uh, some of the books of the New Testament. And for the last three weeks, I've had the, the fun of going through the three shortest books in the New Testament. We started off with Jude, uh, we went to Titus, and now we've got the book of Philemon, or Philemon, or Philemon, depending on uh, how you would like to pronounce it. My belief is that Philemon or Philemon was actually Australian, and so I'm going to call him Phil. Uh, so the book of Phil is actually the shortest book in the New Testament. Uh, it's a letter from Paul to Phil, and uh, it's a short and explosive letter. He unpacks more in the 25 verses than sometimes he does in uh, an in incredibly long letters that he's written. Um, and uh, Paul and Phil have history, a bit like Paul and Titus last week. We talked about the fact that Titus was well known to... Uh, Titus was well known to Paul, uh, and that they'd done work together. And uh, we know that the same thing happens here with Paul and Phil. And there's a bit of a backstory, so I'm going to quickly go through the backstory so we understand. The first thing we need to know is that Paul has met Phil, and he has become a Christian under Paul's teaching. Then, Phil and another Christian by the name of uh, Epaphras has started a house church in Colossae. Now, the third thing that happens is that uh, Phil has a slave called Onesimus. And uh, this slave does something. We, we're fairly sure that he actually stole something and then runs away. And so Phil's not happy. But the interesting thing is that the next thing that happens is Onesimus finds Paul, sits under Paul's teaching, and he becomes a Christian. Now, Paul has a big problem. He's got a friend who's ticked because his slaves run away. He's got a slave who's a new convert who needs to make amends to his master. And he now has to fix the problem without making himself two enemies. Has anybody ever been in that sort of situation? Was, you haven't done anything wrong, but if you make a wrong move, you could end up being in big trouble. Nobody's ever had a problem like that? Ah, well, you're, be a pastor. It's, it's easy. <laughs> okay, so... Paul writes this quick letter, but Paul, Paul's a very canny apostle and writer. And so in this letter, basically what he does is he throws out three challenges. One for Phil, one for Onesimus, and even one for himself. And so his first challenge is to his friend Phil. In Philemon verse 6, it says, I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Can you sense what he's doing here? There's a slight buttering up happening. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. He's full into sucking up, isn't he? And so he goes on. That is why I am boldly asking a favor of you. Here's where the rubber meets the road. He says, I could demand it in the name of Christ because it's the right thing for you to do. So there's a little twisting the knife there. You know, I'm going to ask you a favor, which you ought to do anyway because you know you should. But he says, but because of our love, I prefer simply to ask you. Consider this as a request from me, Paul, an old man and a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. I mean, he's really tugging on the heartstrings here, isn't he? I appeal to you to show kindness to my child Onesimus, 
I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past, but now he is very useful to both of us. One thing the English version doesn't tell us is that the word Onesimus means useful. I am sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. So, we've got this set up here. Paul is setting up Phil um, to do the right thing. And so what he's asking him to do is to take his slave Onesimus back and not punish him for what he's done wrong. Now, who thinks that's... I mean, we don't know how much Onesimus stole or, or, or whether he actually... But he, he wronged Phil in some way. And so he said, okay, take him back, but please don't punish him. And you thought, think, sort of think, well, I'd leave it there. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a big favour to ask. But, he, but Paul goes on. Verse 17, he is no longer a slave to you. What? You mean, he is more than a slave, for he's a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. He's not just asking Phil to forgive Onesimus, he's asking him to free him. He's saying, don't think of him as a slave anymore, think of him as a brother in Christ. The cheek of it all. The interesting thing is that Paul here in this letter has actually demanded of all three of them. You might notice that if you read the letter, there are no quotes from Jesus. There are no wise sayings in there. What Paul is expecting is to actually see the action of what Jesus has said. He is asking, he's basically saying to Phil, you know what Jesus told us to do. I want to see if you can do it. He's issued him a challenge. The second challenge he issues is, of course, to Onesimus. Actually, before, before I go on to that, let me just point out that, that Phil would have known about this. The Gospel of Luke actually quotes Jesus' words. He says, to you who are willing to listen, who's willing to listen? He says, I say, love your enemies. You're all going, la, la, la now, aren't you? Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If somebody slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. Isn't it interesting? That's one of those scriptures that most Christians assume that either Jesus was joking or that he wasn't talking to them. He was talking to the other guy. Uh, uh, but you have to ask, what would Jesus do? I discovered an interesting statistic the other day. You know, Christian bookstop shops suffer from theft. <laughs> I mean, Christians steal from Christian bookstops. Do you, do you want to know what the most stolen item out of a Christian bookshop is? It's one of these. <laughs> <laughs> they are the most stolen items out of Christian bookstops by Christians. <laughs> um, so anyway, I think that, so there's a challenge in itself. That to actually have a bracelet that says, what would Jesus do, doesn't mean you've actually asked yourself that question <laughs> because I suspect that Jesus would say, leave it there. Um, but anyway, so that, that's, that's just, a, that was free, that one. Um, his second challenge, of course, is to Onesimus. 
Now, he, he, he doesn't mention um, anything about that challenge in his letter, but we, we're fairly certain that the person delivering this letter to Phil is Onesimus himself. So Paul has given him the letter and said, okay, here, you take it back to your master and you give him this letter. Now, we, we don't know whether he's let Onesimus read the letter or not, but even if he has, he is going back not knowing what his reception is going to be like. I mean, the treatment of slaves back in the first century was pretty grim. I mean, slaves could be executed for minor infractions. Um, you would hope that Phil wasn't one of those people. After all, he's an Australian and he's pretty laid back. But it would still be a great act of courage for Onesimus to actually go back and face the music, as it were. But Paul is challenging him. He's saying, who, who is your faith in now? You have become a Christian under my teaching. Now here's your chance to show that you actually believe and are willing to live your life according to what Christ Jesus says about you. And so, Onesimus has, has, to, has to be a Proverbs 3.5 sort of person, which says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Because they're both believers, God's grace and mercy has made them partners under a new humanity that Jesus has instigated. But Onesimus has to take the risk that while Paul and and himself may take that view, Phil may not. So, his third challenge is to himself. Well, actually, he doesn't challenge himself. He actually puts out the challenge to the other two to test him in his faith. In verse 18, and, and this is again, I suspect that if he let Onesimus read the letter, he didn't let him read this bit. But he says, if he has wronged you, speaking of Onesimus, or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. These are his capitals. I didn't put these in. Paul wrote this in capitals. I will repay it. And I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. <laughs> I mean, Paul is, is, the, is the ultimate backhander. Um, what he's saying here is that, look, doesn't matter what happens or what you feel is owed to you, if, don't ask Anisimus to pay you back, ask me. And I, in this, this, within my own hand, I will repay it, is, is the um, Old New Testament version of a, a signed affidavit, basically, that he will. So he's actually putting himself out there and saying, look, I'm not the injured party here. Um, I'm not the injuring party here. I, I'm somebody who loves you both. And in the interest of that love... I am prepared to pay all damages, even though I don't owe anything. Who does that sound like? Paul is actually very cleverly pointing out that, hey, there's somebody else in this world who died for both of you, that wasn't wronged by either of you, who didn't approve of any of your sins or misdoings or any of that, but offered to pay the price anyway. And so, although he doesn't actually mention it directly, it's the fact that he's offered to carry the compensation is reminding them that when we follow Jesus, we don't just follow the words written in the Bible. We don't just look at Jesus saying and say, oh, that's great, let's put that on a bracelet. We don't quote Bible scriptures at people and, and, that, and have that make us holy. You know, a soft answer turneth away wrath, you evil... Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> 
The gospel of Jesus Christ requires us to take action and show that we actually understand and are willing to act on what Jesus said. And, and Paul's very short letter basically challenges all of them to do that. He says to Phil, he says, you have to understand that there is a, a, new, a new world order is coming into your life that has brought, been brought about by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You say your faith is with Jesus. Now is your chance to actually show that you are willing to walk in his, his footsteps and follow the path that he has for you. He's saying to Onesimus, you've sinned and your sins have been forgiven, but you actually have to walk into that. And sometimes the consequences of what we do, even though we're forgiven by Jesus, don't always translate into us being forgiven by other people. We actually have to take that risk and come into their lives and ask for that forgiveness and forgive them whether they give it to us or not. And we also have to be people who are willing to pay a sacrifice for, think, for people who don't deserve it. I mean, our tendency is to think that the only person who ever deserves sacrifice is us. You know, it's, it's good that you sacrifice stuff for me, but don't expect me to sacrifice stuff for you because you don't deserve it. That's a natural human reaction. But we're called to a supernatural human reaction, which says my faith is in Jesus Christ. If you're suffering, whether you've brought it upon yourself or whatever the reasons, even if you've, in doing it you've hurt me, I'm prepared to sacrifice something of my life for you because that's what Jesus did for me. And so... As we follow Jesus, I believe that our, our biggest challenge is to translate what we know Jesus wants us to do into actual action. So I'm asking you today, what's your biggest challenge? Are you struggling to forgive someone who's wronged you? Are you fearful about the consequences of admitting your wrongdoings? If that's the case, don't go into politics. Or are you unwilling to make sacrifices for those who don't deserve it? Because I think we all suffer from lack of traction when it comes to those things. So let's think on it. Can I ask you to stand and we'll pray? Lord, I thank you that when you died on the cross, when you came back three days later, it wasn't to give us a series of holy instructions. It wasn't to give us a book of rules. It was to give us a new life. A new life where our actions speak louder than our words. Where our faith follows you. And not the edicts of this world. But you promised that as we did that, we would not be alone. That you would send your Holy Spirit. So Lord, I ask you, strengthen us this day with your Spirit. Enable us to forgive Enable us to act with integrity. Enable us to be merciful, not through our own strength, but by the strength, the power, the grace, and the mercy of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Can I ask you just to sit for a little while? One thing we, we do every Sunday in this church is offer people an opportunity to actually take on board the message that Jesus gives us in the, to do what we have to do. Those three things I talked about, forgiving people, uh, acting with integrity even through our own mistakes and to do things for 
be merciful to other people who don't deserve it are really hard things to do in our own strength. But with the strength of God on the inside, that actually makes those things, I would say possible. I'd say it's almost impossible to do in our own strength. But the presence of God in our lives makes it possible. And the way we get that presence of God in our lives is actually through an invitation. Not by God, but by you. God doesn't barge in on our life unless we ask him to. And so I want to give you an opportunity this morning. If you're here and you've never asked Jesus Christ into your life, or you're here and you know that even though you've asked him, you're certainly not following what he's asked you to do. I want to give an opportunity to actually connect with Jesus either for the first time or or to reconnect by inviting him into your heart. And we do that with a prayer. We just pray that Jesus comes into our heart, that we're prepared from this day forward to walk with him. We do that as as a congregation, not as an individual. So if you're afraid of sort of being in the limelight, we're not going to ask you to, to do that. But I'd like to know who I'm praying with. So can I ask everybody just to close their eyes? And if that is you this morning, you'd just like to rededicate your life or you'd make, like to make a dedication to follow Jesus. While nobody's looking around, just so that I know who I'm praying with. Can you just raise your hand so that I can see it? Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Raise it nice and high so that I can see it. Thank you. Put your hands down. Can I ask everybody now just to open your eyes, stand to your feet. I want us to pray this prayer together. And if you're one of those people who put up your hand, I want you to take this as a especially personal prayer for you. So please repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, from this day forward, My heart is yours. I invite you to be my Lord and my Savior from this day on. I reject my old life and take on a new life with you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Amen. Awesome.